You can turn in your Bible or on your device to Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Our story this morning is a very familiar one for probably all of you. You've probably grown up hearing this story um, through church and Sunday school and VBS and camp and everywhere else. And even if you're not familiar with the story, you've probably heard this expression that we get from the story, which is... uh, be a good Samaritan, right? We just call people that. Somebody does a nice deed for somebody, usually a stranger, and we say, well, what, what a good Samaritan, you know? And we hear sometimes on the news stories of good Samaritans, somebody who, you know, rescues somebody from a subway track or does CPR in the middle of Walmart or something, and we say, well, that's, they're a good Samaritan. However, this, this story about being a good Samaritan goes a whole lot deeper than just doing, doing a good deed or doing something nice for somebody. So we'll start there in verse 25, where we kind of get the setup to the story, where Luke tells us, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? So this expert in the law, don't think, uh, you know, don't think a civil lawyer, don't think a defense lawyer, don't think of like a like a tax code expert who's going to help you navigate taxes over the next couple of months. This person is an expert in the law in the sense that he is an expert in the Bible. He has a PhD in Old Testament. He knows the Old Testament law backwards and forwards, inside and out. And so he comes to Jesus, and Jesus doesn't just ask him what's in it. He doesn't just ask him, well, give me the information. He also says, how do you read it? How do you interpret it? Tell me how you understand what you know. So he gives him both of those, both of those questions. And so the person, uh, he, rep- he replies to him, well, he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But of course, we know just a little bit about this guy. We know that he's come, not with an honest question, but he's come to trap Jesus. Ah, it's never a good idea to try to trap Jesus, because usually he will, he will trap you in the process of that. And so he gives a great answer. Jesus is impressed. Okay, that's, that's great. That's good. But this guy wants to trap himself, and so he gives the answer. Jesus says, that's good. And then he goes on, verse 29, but he wanted to justify himself. Ugh. Don't, don't ever do that to Jesus. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Probably thinking, well, I know what the real answer is, Jesus. You don't. I want to prove how much smarter I am than you. Or perhaps he's thinking, he just wants to prove to everybody, see, I've been doing this the right way. All of you need to get your act together. And so he, he's going to push the, the answer and that question just a little further, and Jesus knows it, which is so great about Jesus. He always knows why we ask the questions we ask and what the motivation is and what's behind all of it. So he brings up this question about who is my neighbor? Which, if you've grown up in church, you've heard this story, you've heard that question, you've been taught it over and over again. You already know the punchline to the story before Jesus even gets into it. You already know how this ends. So if I could just change the question just, just a tiny bit, just a tiny bit, just to make it a little fresh for us, Because behind that idea of who is my neighbor, he's asking, well, can I choose who I love, Jesus? Can I choose who I serve? 
Can I choose who I like and don't like? Do I get, do I get to choose who I ignore? And so Jesus, as he does quite often, is uh, a few steps ahead of this guy, and so he answers with a story. He's like, okay, let me tell you a story. So verse 30, in reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. Oh, good. Good, good, good. A priest. If anyone could help this guy, it's a priest, obviously. And so we expect, well, this this priest is going to help out. And then all of a sudden, the rest of the sentence shows us uh, not quite. And so a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, we think, oh, he's going to help him out. He passed by him on the other side. Oh, that's not how that story's supposed to go. And so the priest passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite. You think, oh, good, a Levite. If the priest didn't help, a Levite will help. A Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, whoa, whoa, a Samaritan? But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now, two denarii, that, that's quite a bit of money back in those days, especially for like covering somebody for an inn. So this, this guy must have been pretty beat up. He's expecting this is going to be a long stay. There's going to probably be a few doctors, maybe some surgeries. He's, this is an expensive bill. But the guy's super kind to him, and he sets all this up for him. Now, I want to help paint this, this story for you a little bit in your mind, because that road to Jericho is not at all like we might think of with our modern highways and road systems, and so the idea that the priest and Levi can just conveniently hop over to the other side is a bit misleading. That's not exactly what's going on. So I've got a couple pictures for you to look at, because the road between Jerusalem and Jericho, it was not at all safe. It was very rocky, it was dry, and you can see... It's, there's lots of places up in those hills and those rocks for, for robbers and criminals to hide out and just wait. And everybody knew this is the road where you get robbed. Don't travel at night. Don't travel by yourself. It's dangerous. It was known as a bad place. And there's this other picture that kind of shows you how narrow that path is. And so literally on one side, you have a steep drop-off. And on the other side, you have this steep, rocky, dry kind of hilltop. So where are the priests and Levites supposed to step to get to the other side? Are they supposed to kind of do like the, the Looney Tunes thing where they step out in the middle of air and just kind of keep walking and don't look down, you won't fall? Or are they supposed to hike up that steep, rocky hill and risk tripping and getting injured? One or the other. So they go incredibly out of their way to avoid this guy when they go over to the other side of him. And so we have a common situation, right? Just kind of like... How many times do you drive down the road and you see somebody pulled over on the side working on their car, right? This is a common thing. Guy gets robbed, beaten, left half to dead, and we think the priest will help and we think the Levite will help, but they really go out of their way. They inconvenience themselves to not help this man. 
They do the exact opposite of what we expect. So if we already don't like these two guys, let me help us uh, dislike them even more. So in the Bible, when the Bible says going down and going up, they don't mean an elevation necessarily. They mean direction. So if you're going up to Jerusalem in the Bible, you're going to Jerusalem. If you're coming down from Jerusalem, you are leaving Jerusalem. So if a priest and a Levite are coming down from Jerusalem, that means they have just finished church. The priest just got done serving at the temple in Jerusalem, and the Levite just got done helping out with worship. So they just finished church, they've worshiped God, and they're on their way probably back. They must maybe live in Jericho, and so they're on their way back to Jericho, and they have zero desire, after being in God's presence, to help this man. Ugh. You just, ugh, these guys, they've got to just be the biggest jerks. But the third guy, I mean, of all the people, why, why a Samaritan? Now, some of you know a little bit about Samaritans. Now, historically, the most um, kind of common traditional view of the Samaritans is they are kind of a half, a half breed of Jews and other nationalities and ethnicities. Because in the Old Testament, there is a period of the Old Testament history where Israel was taken into captivity, and so they were taken into Assyria and Babylon. And while they were in Assyria and Babylon, the Jews tried to continue just to marry other Jews. But there's this theory that, well, a group of those Jews, they went ahead and they married some Assyrians and some Babylonians, and so their bloodline wasn't pure Jewish anymore. And so when they all got to finally come back, so, you know, like the books of Nehemiah and Ezra, they finally get to come back to Israel and rebuild. Well, the, the Jews, who they, they thought, well, we stayed faithful. You know, we didn't intermarry, but these, these other people, they did. And so they called them the Samaritans, and they gave them a little plot of land in the middle of Israel and made them live there. And the Jews thought they were unclean. They, they cannot come worship in the temple in Jerusalem. They've got to go worship in their own place. They're not real Jews. In fact, a common Jewish prayer in the time of Jesus went something like this. God, thank you there won't be any Samaritans in the resurrection. Ouch. They, I mean, to say they hate each other is a little bit of an understatement. Like, there was tons of historical distrust and hatred that ran deep. Jews would never travel through Samaria. Samaritans tried to avoid the Jews. It was just a whole mess. Which is why, when the story ends, it kind of makes sense. So Jesus asks the expert in the law, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. He can't even bring himself to say the Samaritan. He's like, ugh, there's no way. He can't, even, he can't even say that. So Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Well, here's how you go and do likewise. There's a pretty easy pattern in this story. So first, what you do is, well, you see the person. First, you take notice. But taking notice isn't enough because, well, the priest and the Levite, they both saw the man and they did nothing. So, well, first you've got to see the person. Then the second step is you've got to take pity on the person because that's what the Good Samaritan did. He saw this man, he took notice of him, and then he had pity on him. Now, that word pity is also a word that's used a lot of times to describe Jesus' ministry. It's this fun Greek word to say, uh, splachnizomai. 
and it describes your gut. So it's describing this emotion when somebody tells you just a heart-wrenching story, and it just kind of makes your, your stomach get into knots, and you're just like, oh my goodness, that happened to you? I am so sorry. And when you hear that story, it, it completely changes your perspective on that person. Like if someone kind of annoys you, and then you, they tell you this really difficult, heart-wrenching story, you just go, I feel so bad that I thought those things about you, and then it kind of opens up your heart, and you just want to help them. You're just like, I can't believe you've been through that. That's, that's what this, the Good Samaritan felt, and that's what Jesus feels a lot of times for people in his ministry. And so then the man, so he, he takes notice, he takes pity, and then he takes action. He gets off his donkey, he bandages his wounds, and the text tells us he uses oil and wine, which is first century hydrogen peroxide and neosporin. Just basic, essential first aid. This is, this is just what I got with you. This is how I can try to help as best I can, stabilize you, bandage your wounds, and let's, I'm going to put you up on my donkey, and we're going to get you to the next town. We're going to get you some help. But then, the Good Samaritan, do you notice he swaps places with this guy? He doesn't just come down from Jerusalem. He also gets down off his donkey, and he puts the man up on his donkey, and then he walks the rest of the way to Jericho and lets this man ride on his donkey. So, okay, you, you take notice, you take pity, you take action. If you do those three things, you will go and do likewise. All right, let's be done. Let's go to lunch. Just kidding. Some of you know me. You're like, there's no way he's done already. Because that's the surface level of this story. You can read this story, and anybody can walk away with those, that basic lesson. Like, yeah, we should, we should all be a good Samaritan. Everyone's our neighbor. We get it. You don't have to believe in Jesus to do that. If, you, if you're here and you don't believe in Jesus yet, you can read the story and go, yeah, that's what we should do. Yeah, everyone's our neighbor. We can be a good Samaritan to everybody. Cool. But Jesus doesn't tell the story just to convince us we all need to be a good neighbor and everyone's your neighbor and let's be Mr. Rogers. That's not the point of the story. So let's just go a little deeper. Let's think about who he's telling this story to. An expert in the law whose intention is to trap Jesus and who wants to justify himself. That's the whole reason that he got into this story in the first place. And the parables of Jesus, they're designed in this strange little way, like at the, at the end of our story from last week, at the end of Jesus sent out of the 72, one of the things he says is, I praise you, Father, that you, you reveal things to children and you hide things from the wise. God has this weird way, and Jesus says, I tell parables so that that some people will hear and other people will be super confused. And so the story is designed to actually hide some things. But with God's help, we can kind of tell what's going on. So if we go just a little deeper, the expert in the law, his intention is, I'm going to trap you, Jesus. I'm going to prove how good I am. And so Jesus tells this story to actually trap the expert in the law. Because the story is designed to put a mirror up in front of us and say... Well, are you like the Good Samaritan? And when we look in our reflection and we're humble and we're honest, we have to honestly say, no, we're not. We're not very good Samaritans. Because if we're really, really honest, we all, we all want to be compassionate. We all really want to deeply care for other people. But we all just know there's somebody that if you met them on that road, you would gladly cross over to the other side to get away from them. Let's, let's go back to the priest and the Levite in that story, and let's, okay, 
We've beat them up enough. Let's give them just a little bit of credit now, okay? They just got done, you know, at work in the temple. They're on their way home. Some of you know what that's like. You live maybe 20 or 30 minutes from where you work. And so, you know, when you get done with a busy day, you just, you just want to get home. You do not want to be stopped. You, you know, you may be reluctant to even run errands. Just like, I've had a long day. I'm just ready to get home, and I've got a 20 or 30-minute drive ahead of me. And these guys, they finish service in the temple. They're tired. They just want to get back home to their families in Jericho. And so they're probably thinking, I'm busy. I'm tired. I'm sure somebody else will come along. Somebody else can help this guy out. And so they just keep going. Or maybe they're thinking to themselves, well, gosh, I'm a priest. I'm a Levite. Because in the Old Testament law, if you come into contact with a dead body, you are ritually unclean for a period of time. And they might be thinking, they may not even be sure if this guy's dead or alive. And to check, they might have to touch him. And if they touch him, well, now they can't go back to work the next day. Now, now they're, they're unclean for a while, and that's inconvenient. What if someone needs them to do a priestly duty? Well, they got to be available. So maybe in their wisdom, they just think, somebody else can do this, this isn't really my job, I'll just, it's okay. Somebody else will come along, I don't need to do this. But underneath the surface of the story, Jesus is saying, the excuses don't matter. Who had mercy on the man? Because it was the Samaritan, not the priest, not the Levite who we would expect. But when we hold the mirror of the story up to ourselves, how many times you kind of have that guilty feeling that there's someone you could have helped and you didn't because you were too busy, you had somewhere to be, you thought somebody else will come along, this is a job for somebody else, not a job for me, or goodness, if, if I do this, then here's, you know, there's going to be consequences. And we just kind of have our, have our excuses. And also, there might just be a little bit of a sense that, well, I don't want to help that kind of a person out. Because most likely the guy laying in the road is a Jew, and so this Samaritan isn't supposed to help Jews. He's supposed to stay clear of them. They don't like each other, but he helps them anyway. So deep, deep down, who's the person that you would not want to help on that road? And you can probably imagine somebody right now. There's somebody that either, like, they look a certain way, or they act a certain way, or they've got a certain kind of background or history... Or maybe you can right now, like there's a specific person, like you've got a name and you've got a face, and you think, if I saw them in that road right now, I'd be kind of glad they're in that position, to be honest. I'd be like, serves you right for what you've done. I'd hop on that high side of the hill and get out of the way and keep on going. But who's that, who's that person? Um, back, at, back in middle school, um, I ran for class president one year, and I lost, bummer. Uh, the guy who won was a guy named Matt. And so school's over, and I'm kind of bummed because I didn't win, and that means I have to now be the vice president. And, ugh. and so I'm walking out of the school, and it just so happens, coming out of the same exit of our middle school, at the same time, is Matt. I don't want to see Matt. I don't want to talk to Matt. And so I swallow a tiny bit of my pride and say something nice, like, hey, congratulations, I'm sure you'll do a great job, which I did not believe. And... We kept, you know, we're walking out, he says something nice back, and we're walking out, and all of a sudden, we're walking, and I keep walking, and all of a sudden, Matt's not walking anymore. I'm a little confused, so I turn around, and Matt has somehow got his, somehow, I don't know how this happened, he got his shoelace caught and tangled in the bike rack right outside of the door of the school, 
was like, how does this happen? And so I swallow a little bit more of my pride and say, hey, let me, let me help you with that. And so I get down on the ground and like get his shoelaces unstuck from this bike rack. I'm like, thanks, man. Thanks for helping me out. No problem. I'm just thinking, why? Why, God? Why, Matt? Why couldn't have... But who's that person for you? That person that is the, the last person you want to see, the last person you want to help. Because that's, that's the situation on this road. The two least likely of friends help each other out. But that's, that's not really the point of the story. Like, that's not the end of the story just to make us go, yeah, you're right, Jesus, we're not good Samaritans. And we wish we were, and we try so hard, but sometimes we just, we just, don't, we just don't quite make it. But there's actually a deeper, a deeper point to the story, because when we're not the good Samaritans, well, we have to ask, well, who is? Can anybody be a good Samaritan? I mean, it's awfully hard. I mean, honestly, we all have people we don't really want to help. Like, ooh, don't really want to help that kind of person out. But the other side of this is whether it's because you think you're just not good enough or maybe you're trying to figure out who you are and what your identity is. Well, whatever kind of identity you take on in the world, all those identities come with a list of enemies. So if you want to be known for your politics, well, there's, there's a group of people you're supposed to really hate. Like, you're here to save the country, they're out here to destroy the country. That's the script you're told. Or if you want to be known for a certain justice issue, well, there's a group of people out there that's trying to corrupt and destroy our country and hurt people and put them in a terrible situation. You've got to hate them. Well, if you want to be known for your gender, well, there's a group of people out there that are against you and want to hurt you and say terrible things about you, and so you've got to hate them. Jesus is the only person who says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He's the only identity where there isn't a list of people to hate. And so what we begin to discover is if we're not the Good Samaritans, well, who is? This is your Sunday school answer. It's Jesus. He's the Good Samaritan. Because what we begin to realize is, in the story, who are we? Now, at times, sure, maybe we're the priest, maybe we're the Levite, maybe we get to be the Good Samaritan every once in a while, but a lot of times... We're the man left in the road, half beaten, left for dead. And whether that's just because of spiritually, we recognize because of our sin and because we're not good enough and because we're not as free as we think we are and we don't have the kind of identity we've been looking for, we, we're, left, we're left alone. And the people we thought were going to help us don't help us. They just pass on by, say, it's your problem, you figure it out, and they keep on going. Maybe that's what's going on. Or maybe it's just because really you feel like this man right now. Like you physically feel like you have been physically beaten and physically left for dead. And you need help from somebody. And so Jesus, he comes from heaven to earth, not quite from Jerusalem to Jericho, from heaven to earth. And he gets off his donkey and he not just rescues you out of the road and carries you to the next town, But he also says, let me go ahead and pay for this. All of it. Because we we can't. We can't afford the bill that's due because of our own sin. And so Jesus pays the whole thing. So in the story, it's, it's not just a story about everyone's your neighbor, be a good neighbor. 
It's not just a story about how we're really not good Samaritans. It's a story about how Jesus is the good Samaritan. And we're the ones in the position that need his help the most. Each and every one of us. And so we get to go and do likewise, because that's what Jesus did for us. Because Jesus came to us at our worst moment, in our lowest point, whether it's our lowest point just spiritually, that we all are in at some point, or whether it's our lowest point physically, Jesus came to us, and he rescued us, and he paid the entire bill, and he took care of us, and he saved us from ourselves and from our sin, and put us in a different position, because he saw us, and he had pity on us, and so he acted. There was a plan, and Jesus came to reflect the character of God by fulfilling that plan and rescuing us. You know, and I can't help but wonder if Jesus would just keep telling the story, how would it have ended? Because it just kind of ends. Like, what happens to the Good Samaritan? What happens to the guy in the end? Does he get better? Does he, does he make it? I guess we have to wait for the next season to find out. But I just kind of imagine, what, what if, just what if, the story could go on and, and that man finally recovers from his injuries there at the inn and he gets up and he finally makes his way back to Samaria. He gets, he gets home and he, he tells everybody, well, I, don't, I don't know what happened. I was, I was robbed. I was beaten. Next thing I know, I wake up in this the inn, and I'm asking the innkeeper about, what do I owe you? How do I get here? He says, oh, this, this guy, this good Samaritan guy showed up, and he brought you in. He paid, he paid your whole bill. Don't worry about it. You're free to go. And I wonder, what, what, would that, what would that man have done? I wonder if he would, after he recovered, I wonder if he would save up a little money for a trip, and he'd, he'd go on to Samaria, where he's not supposed to go, and he'd just start knocking on doors. Like, hey, um, excuse me, do you, does the good Samaritan live here? And like, well, no, I don't know anyone named Good Samaritan, sorry. And knock at another door, hey, does the good, do you know the Good Samaritan by any chance? I'm looking for him. Go, yeah, I don't, you know, the name sounds familiar, but I'm not quite sure. Hey, hey, honey, do, do you know a Good Samaritan? He's like, well, I think I went to high school with a Good Samaritan. Let me, let me look him up on Facebook. I think I still got him there. Like, oh yeah, there he is. He lives in the next town over. You, you know, he coaches basketball over there. You should go talk to him. And he makes his way over and knocks on the door. Hey, are, are you the Good Samaritan? Yeah, that, that's me. That's what they call me. Good Samaritan. And he's like, well, do you recognize me? That, Sorry, I no idea. He says, well, when you saw me, I, I looked pretty different. Uh, had, had a bunch of injuries. Didn't look too good. He's like, oh, I remember you. I found you on the way to Jericho and dropped you. How are you doing? You feeling? Yeah, took me a while to recover, but now I can finally get around. I can, I can finally travel. Took a while. Doctor's orders, you know. Still got some medicine to take, but I, I'm on the mend. I just wanted to come and thank you so much for helping me out. You have no idea. You changed my life, friend. So good. And he says, well, you know, it's, it's a long way back to your house. Why don't you just spend the night with me and my family? And, you know, dinner's, dinner's almost ready. Why don't you stay in? Oh, sure, I'd love to. Thank you. And over dinner at some point, this, you know, Jewish guy feels a little uncomfortable because he's in a Samaritan's house, but he figured, well, this guy helped me. At least I can do. I can be kind back. And, you know, they're, they're going to pray right before the meal, and the guy prays, and this Jewish guy notices it's a little bit of a different kind of prayer than the Jews say. He, pray, you know, he, start, he, he prays instead a little differently, and at the end he says, in Jesus' name, amen. And the Samaritan can't help but wonder, that, that's a little bit different. 
And after a few bites of food, he can't help but ask. He said, hey, what was that? The way you ended your prayer, what was that about? He's like, what, what do you mean? Well, you, you said in Jesus' name. Who's that? It's like, oh. Well, Jesus is why I stopped on that road and, and helped you out. And he begins to tell him about the Good Samaritan. I just wonder if that's how the story would have turned out, if Jesus would have just kept going. And so how can we be kind of like Jesus, be kind of like the Good Samaritan? We won't always get to be the hero, but what if just for a little bit Jesus let us step into his shoes with the power of the Holy Spirit, and we for just a little bit, just for a moment, got to be the hero in the story and help someone out and tell them, I'm doing this because of the Good Samaritan. Would you like to hear about him? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the gift of your son Jesus, who really is the true Good Samaritan. I'm thankful that Jesus came from heaven down to earth to rescue us from our situation, to save us from our sin, to give us true freedom, and to give us an identity that we would be hard-pressed to find or sort of put together on our own. But instead, you call us your children. And Holy Spirit, I pray for your help in those, in those moments when, when we try to be like a good Samaritan and we struggle, or when we encounter somebody that it's really hard for us to love or really hard for us to serve. And I just ask that you would, in those moments especially, help us to feel the compassion that you do towards those people. That you would help us to feel the way you do for your creation. And you would help us to take action to lead others back to you. So it's in your name I pray. Amen.